Transmitting from the lovely little city of Taylor, Texas, you are listening to Plow and Hose, a show dedicated to the joys and challenges of organic backyard gardening in Central Texas. I am your host, Julie Rydell. Welcome to the show. Hi, plant friends. Thank you for joining me again here in Taylor, Texas. Here we are. It is early July. And newsflash, Central Texas is freaking hot. It's hot, it's dry. And I don't know, I guess I thought I should tell you that just in case you've been inside all summer and did not realize how freaking hot it is. I read the other day that it's been the absolute hottest May, the hottest June, and now... It's the hottest first week of July, you know, since they've been keeping records for the past 125 years, the hottest. Now, I don't know about you, but I am not a big fan of this trend and I don't know. I mean, maybe, maybe we'll catch a break and the heat will be over earlier this year, like maybe September I doubt it, but I don't know, maybe. Not only is it super hot, it's also hectic, at least for me. I have just felt really busy the past couple of weeks. I mean, summertime is supposed to be easy going, especially since the kids are out of school, but it hasn't been that way for me. That's okay, I guess. I mean, I'd much rather be busy than bored. And the garden is really keeping me busy. Busy watering, that is uh, for sure. Now, not too long ago, we had a glorious cool front push through, and that broke the last heat wave. So we went from 100 plus degrees every single day to a very bizarre but tolerable 90 degrees. I mean, it was crazy. It was just like, oh, you know, we're in the 90s and this is so refreshing. But even better than all of that, we got some greatly needed rain. I have been so, so diligent with watering my plants this summer. I mean, dragging that damn hose all over the yard, but they didn't appreciate it as much as uh, the rain. My plants just loved the rain, you know, way, way, way more so than the water from the hose. I mean, yeah, city water is way better than no water, but rainwater is just the best because it's different. It doesn't have all the salts or the minerals or the chlorine or any of those water treatment plant chemicals that are found in tap water. And, you know, who really knows what's in well water? So, you know, plants just love the rainwater, especially after the summer heat. 
um, you know, here at my house, my plants just really looked so refreshed after that rain. Also, um, rainwater is slightly acidic and that is really great for our central Texas soil, which is rather alkaline. Here in Taylor, we have heavy black clay soil and on the other side of IH35, that kind of like splits Austin in half, Central Texas in half. Um, the soil on the other side of 35, the west side, it has a lot of limestone in it and it's rocky and thin and that soil is called caliche. But Blackland Prairie, black clay soil and caliche, they are both alkaline. So the slightly acidic rainwater um, helps neutralize the natural alkalinity of our soil and plants really love neutral water and neutral soil. And that's why they perk up so much when we get a nice rain. But for me, yeah, I love happy plants, but the rainwater is also free. So I really like that. This high heat is definitely affecting my garden, but I do have a few things that are looking pretty good. Most of the heat-loving plants are totally unfazed. Okra going crazy. Sweet potatoes look lush and green. The peppers are starting to slow down a little bit, but they are still producing. I still go out there and find flowers and new peppers all the time. But... It's the cucumbers that are going absolutely crazy. They're totally bonkers right now. And I was actually worried because I felt like I was behind on getting them planted this spring. And I was concerned that it was going to get too hot for them, for them to like be very productive. But I just kept watering them and they started producing, you know, a few here and there every couple of days. And then I'm not sure what happened, but they really started putting on more and more. And for some reason, they are still covered in cucumbers and flowers. I still am seeing flowers on these plants and it's like a hundred and something freaking degrees. It's crazy. It's been probably maybe a month since I sprinkled some fertilizer in that bed. So, you know, that probably held more than I expected it to. That bed also gets afternoon shade, which, you know, that gives the plants a break from the intense sun. So it that is probably helping. But it also could be the varieties that I chose to plant this year. This year I have two Asian varieties out in my garden right now, Jabai Shimushiratsu and um, Suyo Long. Jabai Shimushiratsu was (coughs) um, a repeat from last year. I had some leftover seeds. And it is a Japanese variety that produces long, thin fruits with really beautiful dark green skin. It's very smooth and has very few bumps and prickles. It looks a whole lot like um, a English cucumber, like the ones that you get at the grocery store that are wrapped in plastic. 
Jabai Shimushiratsu is very, very mild and it almost has a sweet taste to it. Last year in the garden, it did all right. I planted it in a different spot in the garden um, than I did this year and it probably got too much sun. The new location right now, um, it gets plenty of afternoon shade and they are super happy where they are right now. Suyo Long was a variety that I learned about. It was recommended by um, an organic farmer that lives um, pretty close to Austin too. He had posted some recommendations on one of the local gardening um, groups on Facebook. So, you know, I, I, I participated in that Facebook group for quite a while. And so when I saw that he was making recommendations, I figured it must be a pretty good one since he grows vegetables for a living. And he was totally right. Suyo Long do grow really well here in Central Texas. Suyo Long is a Chinese heirloom variety. As the name suggests, it's a long cucumber too. It can get up to 18 inches long. It's not as dark green as the Jibai Shimushiratsu. It has um, more noticeable ribs and definitely has bumps and prickles on it more so than the other one. The Suyo cucumbers aren't quite as cylindrical as the Jibai Shimushiratsu, but it's just as mild and definitely prolific. Both types are parthenocopic, and this means that they can produce fruits without pollination. They don't need insects or wind to transfer pollen from one flower to another in order to develop cucumber fruits. Parthenocopic varieties are great for growing in greenhouses because greenhouses tend to have a whole lot less issues with wind or insects. All parthenocopic varieties are hybrid plants. Hybrids have been intentionally cross-pollinated by humans. People take two plants and swap pollen, cross-pollinate them, so that the offspring have very specific particular traits. In the case of these cucumbers, the trait is that they don't require pollination. Hybrid seeds contain all of the genetic information in the pollen to create the desired plant. The seeds, like if you look at the packet, they'll be marked hybrid or F1. And all of these hybrid seeds, F1 seeds, tend to grow plants that will grow better and produce higher yields than the parent varieties. This is really great because, you know, who doesn't want a plant that grows better and makes more food? And I will attest that they are giving me a lot more food. I'm currently swimming in cucumbers. I mean, I went out this morning and I picked seven. So everybody... In my house, you're getting kind of sick of them. I mean, it's cucumbers, breakfast, lunch, and dinner. 
If you happen to find a cucumber on your doorstep, I'm going to totally deny it with me. It was probably someone else you know that has lots of cucumbers. But Janelle, you really should be grateful if that happens because I promise you, not everyone deserves cucumber gifts. I'm just saying. The downside of hybrids is that you aren't able to save the seeds from them because they either aren't genetically stable or they aren't fertile at all. Um, or they can be unpredictable. You will not get the same plant if you try to save seeds from a hybrid plant. So if you liked what you grew from a particular hybrid, you're always going to have to buy a new seed every single year. Now for us backyard gardeners, it's really not a big deal. You know, pay a few bucks for a packet of seeds, but uh, on the other hand, commercial growers, it's an additional cost and they pass that on to the consumers and that kind of explains um, why these types of cucumbers are more expensive at the grocery store, the farmer's market or wherever you get them. So Yolong and Jabai Shimushiratsu cucumbers are also burpless varieties. Burpless means that the cucumbers have less cucurbitacin and that's a component that causes bitterness and indigestion. My cucumbers are doing really, really great, but my tomato plants, on the other hand, are starting to look ragged and tired. I mean, they really look exhausted. And I can sympathize. I mean, if I was out there in the heat, in the sun all day long, I would look pretty awful too. July's summer heat in Central Texas is just absolutely brutal on our gardens. Water and heat stress plants are more vulnerable to insect damage and disease. If your plants don't look very good or if they're unproductive, you might consider pulling them out to make room for something new. Diseased, insect-infested plants definitely need to be removed to prevent further infestation or pathogen spread, so get those out. But if your plants just look tired, what you might want to do is experiment with trying to get a second crop from your existing tomato plants. So even though the tops of your tomato plants look terrible from heat, they have an existing um, root system that it, it's really, really great. If you planted them earlier in the year, they probably have a very extensive root system. And a healthy root system is very important for productive plants. So even when the tops of your plants have issues, they are more likely to be able to recover if they have a strong root system. Tomato transplants, you know, the ones that you start at home or you bought from the nursery, they look really fresh and green. They look great, but they don't really have much of a root system. 
because they are grown in those little tiny pots. Once you take a seedling and you put it out in your garden and you've transplanted it, it's going to focus on establishing roots. So you won't notice a whole lot of above ground growth right away. Fall tomatoes need to be planted by the end of August so they have enough time to get established and produce fruit for the fall harvest. Fall tomatoes have a shorter growing season than tomatoes that are planted in early spring. If you have a tomato plant that produced well for you and it didn't have any issues with disease and you liked the way they tasted, take advantage of that plant that has a well-established root system and try to coax a second harvest for the fall by pruning back your plants. Existing tomato plants can be cut back by up to 50%. You can remove up to half of the long, gangly vines of summer tomatoes. Now, it's going to feel weird. It's going to feel counterintuitive to prune them back so much, especially if you happen to have fruits or flowers on them. But if you want fall tomatoes, then you need to cut them back so that the plant can focus its energy on new growth. And that new growth is going to be able to produce new fruits. Depending on the variety, tomatoes need 60 to 90 days to produce flowers and set fruit. Cutting back tomatoes by early August will allow enough time for new growth and fruit production. Just choose healthy plants that will produce tasty fruits. Strong plants will definitely be able to recover from such a drastic pruning. So just do it. Just go out there, slash your plants by up to half. Indeterminate tomatoes will respond better to this type of pruning more so than the determinate types. Indeterminate tomatoes are types that grow long and tall and they just sprawl and grow everywhere. They grow more like vines their stems continue to grow and grow until it gets cold, too cold and the frost kills them. Indeterminate tomatoes produce flowers and fruits all through the growing season. They have one main stem and they continue to grow, set flowers and produce fruit. Here in Central Texas, these types can continue the cycle of grow, flower, fruit all through the late fall. Since they continuously develop. They can grow up to 15 feet without any sort of pruning. Indeterminate tomatoes are more productive when they are pruned, even after being cut back so dramatically. On the other hand, determinate tomatoes are smaller plants. They're also sometimes called bush tomatoes. They are fairly compact and they only get to be about like four feet tall. Unlike the vining indeterminate types, determinate tomatoes only produce one crop. With the right growing conditions, you will get lots of flowers and then lots and lots of tomatoes. 
all the fruit on a determinant tomato plant will ripen about the same time, you know, over the course of a week or two. After this, the plant dies or it goes dormant. Now, you might be able to get a second harvest from them, but don't expect it to be as prolific as that very first one. If you enjoyed that tomato, it's worth a try. I mean, you've already, you already have the plant, so why not try to cut it back and try to get a second harvest? Just take advantage of your summer tomato plants and their very extensive and well-established root systems. Just cut them back to encourage growth and productivity through the fall. You know, you can remove up to half of your plants. Once you do that, apply some fresh compost or you could water them with some compost tea and that's really going to support your plants. Um, You do want to avoid fertilizing while plants are heat stressed. So this is really not a good time to fertilize with a product. Compost, Compost tea is perfectly fine. Compost is fine. You're going to want to add some additional mulch and provide some afternoon shade to protect the plants from the worst of the summer sun. You are listening to Plow and Hose on KBSR Black Sparrow Radio. If you are enjoying my show, I hope you'll go over to www.blacksparrowmusicparlor.com and check out the station and learn about all the great shows and music coming out of our station broadcasting from Taylor, Texas. While you're out on the internet, be sure to stop by the Plow and Hose Facebook page and like and share it with your gardening friends or head over to wherever you get your podcasts and subscribe to the Plow and Hose podcast. If you like the flexibility of being able to play pause and rewind my show whenever you want, download some episodes and please leave a review if you can. It's really easy, super quick. Just click on the stars this is going to help others find the show and it lets folks know that Plant Hose is a pretty good show. If you've already left a review, thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you so much. Okay, you know, I think it's been a couple of weeks since the last show. Um, during that last show, I spent a little time talking about hydroponics, mainly like history and interesting information. And I did say that I wanted to spend a little more time talking about hydroponics in the next show, which is right now. So that's what I'm going to do. If you did miss the last show or you want to hear it again, um, that's cool. You can. Um, It's episode number 68. So go find it on your podcast platform. But let me just give you a quick little recap. So i bought a book on hydroponics at a used bookstore in another state. I spent $6.50 on it, but it's this great little book and I learned so much. I love this little book. Um, Probably the craziest thing I learned about hydroponics was hydroponics is actually kind of old, like going way back to the ancient times. I mean, it wasn't called hydroponics then, but people have been growing things in water without soil for a really, really long time. 
And it's not nearly as new as I thought it was. I mean, for sure, I don't know everything, but I was really surprised that growing things hydroponically on a large scale has been done for quite a long time. I mean, I assumed it was like a new thing, like a new type of science, a new trend, whatever. You know, I thought maybe it went back to the 60s, but no, no. Hydroponics, growing plants in water without soil is way older than that. And it's been, you know, before it was called water culture, but um, it got renamed, rebranded into hydroponics. And it's been studied and documented since the 1900s. I was really surprised by that. But anyway, no matter how old hydroponics is, there's still plenty of time for the rest of us to catch up and learn about them. Modern hydroponics is still essentially the same as those olden times, you know, growing crops without soil, with very little water, with the perfect balance of necessary nutrients. There are different ways to set up a hydroponic system, but no matter how you go about it, hydroponics allows you to grow a lot of food in a small amount of space, no matter the climate, the light, and temperature. It allows us to grow things all year long, like lettuce and strawberries. We can grow them whenever we want, thanks to hydroponics. Hydroponics allows people to grow produce in places where conventional farming has failed. You can grow hydroponic gardens in deserts, in the Arctic. You can grow them on submarines, in in space, on the space stations, and places like offshore drilling rigs. You can grow them anywhere. Growing food without soil is also helping solve a lot of the world's hunger problems and making it easier to obtain fresh foods in places where that was impossible. So one thing to think about, I mean, especially considering about how hot it is right now in central Texas, you know, our area is so prone to drought and conserving water is getting more and more important. And hydroponics uses two thirds less water than traditional growing methods. So we might want to start thinking about incorporating a hydroponic garden um, just just because you know we need to start conserving water hydroponic gardens produce a lot more and they are extremely productive for their size plants grow faster hydroponic gardens can take up less space than traditional gardens and they can be grown inside with the addition of lights and of course you can grow your favorite crops all year long inside with lights 
since hydroponic gardens can be custom configured and raised way up off the ground, hydroponic gardens are more accessible for people no matter their physical restrictions. Plus, they are a whole lot labor intensive, so there's no weeding, there's no hauling bags of mulch or other soil amendments. You don't need heavy tools like shovels or equipments like tillers. There's so many advantages for hydroponics, but hydroponics are just better for the environment. I mean, they don't, they use less water and they don't require herbicides or pesticides. There are all kinds of hydroponic systems. They may look different and be set up and configured using different equipment or like maybe materials, but they all have similar components and they all function the same. All systems need a reservoir, they need light, a growing tray, of course water and nutrients, and of course plants. You can have extra things to help improve growth and yields, but they are basically all the same. And there is just so much variety in the materials that you can use, and you can customize it for your space or whatever your other needs are. In the past, when I was looking into learning more about hydroponics, it just seemed overly complicated and really expensive. But now that I've kind of like gotten a little more um, knowledgeable about it, I'm learning that it's not nearly as complicated as I thought. And you can actually spend as much or as little as you want. I mean, some of those ready to use open the box, um, systems like hydroponic towers that have built-in lights, they are really expensive, but simple systems don't have to cost a lot of money at all, especially if you're willing to make them yourself. The most common um, systems are wick systems, drip systems, deep water, and ebb and flow systems. Some require a pump, uh, electricity. They require electricity to pump water to the plants or circulate water and nutrients. Wick and deep water systems are the most simple. Wicking hydroponic tanks are passive. They don't need electricity to deliver water and nutrients. A fiber wick um, sometimes like a rope or a bit of yarn. Those are planted within the planting cup and then they kind of like kind of hang out from the bottom and they're placed into the liquid. That wick sucks up liquid from the reservoir and delivers it straight to the plants right in the growing tray. Deep water systems are also very simple. Instead of using a wick to draw up water to the plants, the plants float in a tray on top of the water and then the roots grow directly into the nutrient uh, solution. So you start with a full container like an aquarium and you place your tray on top with the plant's roots in direct contact with the water. Over time, the water level drops. 
but the roots continue to grow. So you start off with a lot of water and short roots, and then you end up with less water and very long roots. Drip systems use pumps to deliver the nutrient solution and water through a drip line. Ebb and flow systems use pumps and timers to flood the growing trays with water and nutrients. When the pumps turn off, the excess solution drains back to the reservoir. Hydroponic gardens that are outside, obviously, you don't have to have special extra lights. Indoors, you don't necessarily need special lights. If you have a bright, sunny window, you might not need extra lighting. Most crops need four to eight hours of direct sunlight and at least 10 hours of bright light. So a combination of direct and indirect light will work. If you want to or need to add lights to your indoor hydroponic garden, your main objective is to mimic outdoor natural light and the light patterns. Fluorescent LED and HID are the best types of lights for indoor hydroponics, but it depends on what you're growing and what your goals are. Light is so important, but having those extra lights uh, it can be expensive. So you're going to want to do your research on your options for hydroponic gardens. LEDs use half of the electricity electricity of regular lighting and they don't put out the heat like HID and fluorescent bulbs but they are more expensive even though hydroponics is soilless plants still need to grow in something and luckily there are lots of options that you can use Growing media provides support for the plants, uh, something for the roots to be stabilized on while the upper parts of the plants grow. And the media also holds on to the nutrients so that your plants can um, take them in. Gravel, clay pellets, um, core fiber, perlite, vermiculite, and rock wool are commonly used in hydroponics as growing medium. Growing medium is placed in like these little pots or little baskets, and then those are placed in a growing tray, and you place your plants in those pots. The seed, um, I'm sorry, the tray holds the plants, and that's all placed in or on top of the reservoir. The most important component of hydroponics is water and nutrient solution. Clean water is essential for hydroponics. You want to grow plants, not pathogens. So distilled water and uh, water that has been processed through reverse osmosis, those are the best choices because water from the tap, water from the well, and even rainwater will contain contaminants that you don't want in your hydroponic system. All plants need nutrients. Um, in nature and out in our gardens, plants uh, grown in soil 
they get their nutrients from the soil and soil is just full of microbes that create the nutrients. With hydroponics, you have to add all the key nutrients to the water needed for your plants to grow. Plants need a whole bunch of different nutrients, some more than others, and need greater quantities of some nutrients. But we are really lucky because there are plenty of pre-made formulas that you can just buy and mix up yourself. Or you could try to create your own um, formula by taking individual nutrients um, and putting them all together. You know, things like potassium, phosphorus, nitrogen, single ingredients, plus some um, other things, um, some trace elements for your plants. That would be way, way more work than I am interested in doing at this point in my life. I would just buy the premix formula since I grow things for fun and I really don't have a desire to keep a whole bunch of different individual components around. Another important aspect of the nutrient and water solution is the pH. After mixing the solution and adding it to the water, you should check the pH. You're going to need to and adjust it as needed. It's much, much easier to start off with the correct pH than trying to fix it later after you've planted your hydroponic garden. Different plants have different pH needs. Plants don't um, they're not going to be able to absorb nutrients if the pH is off. If it's too high or too low, it's not good for the plants. You can learn what your nutrient solution pH level is by using litmus paper strips that you just dip in the water, or you could get a liquid testing kit to measure the pH. And they, or, you know, they also have electronic pH meters, whatever, whatever you want to use, use those, but check pH for your nutrient solution. Most plants do well with a neutral or just barely slightly acidic pH. If the pH is off, you can add hydroponic products that will raise or lower the pH. Some systems also use aquarium bubblers or air stones to oxygenate the water. The bubbler diffuses air into the tank and adds oxygen to the nutrient solution. Oxygen helps germination and it promotes growth. I think hydroponics um, is really, really interesting. And there is just so much information out on the internet. I feel that it can be overwhelming and I'm not a very patient person anymore. I just don't have the time or the desire to sit through a whole bunch of um, really long YouTube videos on hydroponics, but there are some um, really great websites and short videos. Um, so if you have a chance, go out there and see what you can find because there are some really cool ideas out there and really impressive hydroponic systems. 
my recommendation, this is just what really worked for me. Um, if you're wanting to get started with hydroponics, go look for a simple book or a website that explains the concepts in very easy to understand ways. The book that I have um, is very simple and it contains some great instructions on how to build um, various systems and it's not overly complicated. Some of those websites that are out there, they get real, really detailed and it's like, I can't, I can't handle it. It's just too much information. So simple, 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 simple. You will be successful with hydroponic gardening. Well, thank you guys so much for joining me today. I hope you have a super week and do your best to stay hydrated, stay cool, and make sure the people in your life are also staying hydrated. Production assistance provided by KBSR, Black Sparrow Radio. Original music created by Alex Cuervo. Discover more of his music at alexcuervo.tv. If you love plants and gardening in Central Texas, be sure to click the subscribe button wherever you get your podcasts and never miss seasonal information on Plow and Hose. Plow and Hose is written and recorded at my home in Taylor, Texas.